Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. Hello and welcome to Politics War Room with James Carville and I'm Al Hunt. This week our guest is Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy. Remember, we love taking your questions, so write into politicswarroom at gmail.com or send a tweet to at Politicon for next week's show. Now, we're going to get to as many as we can, but don't forget to tell us where you're from. Please check out the links to our sponsors, Z-Biotics and ExpressVPN in the show notes. We thank you for supporting these sponsors. It really helps make this podcast happen. Please tell your friends about us and remind them to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Hey, James, let's confess. We underestimated just how crazy these congressional Republicans are, and we thought they'd be crazy. They're launching a sham impeachment into Joe Biden that no serious constitutional lawyer thinks is anything but a travesty. They want to feel good by shutting down the government. They refuse to, um, uh, to let top military command officers take their post. A number are siding with Putin to sell out Ukraine. Uh, and they really, really are insane. And in the middle of all of this is the weak and scared uh, Delante, I think is his name, Cavalcanti. Remember, he was that escaped prisoner who was caught on Wednesday. You know, the, the Cavalcanti of Congress is Kevin McCarthy. He's surrounded by forces that are out to get him, and he's scared every day, and he capitulates, and there's going to be a time he can't capitulate anymore, nothing else to capitulate on. But, James, let's understand there is a maestro behind this, Donald Trump. They are the lemmings up there following the orders from Il Duce, who, by the way, won his most coveted endorsement this week, Vladimir Putin. And he's been meeting with House Republicans to plot the Biden impeachment, scheming with the unprincipled Elise Stefanik. And I watched on television one of those followers, a Michigan congresswoman named Lisa McLean. I'd never really heard of her. She was clueless on the substance, but she was right there as a good Trump foot soldier. And, and, and just one more word, if I may, on this sham impeachment. Hunter Biden has lived an unsavory life. He unquestionably used his family name to get jobs and connections that he didn't deserve. And vice president and staff should have stopped it. They didn't. But misplaced loyalty to a son is hardly an impeachable offense. There is no evidence that he, that Biden profited from any of this and there's no serious purpose here other than to throw out some sleaze uh and uh you know try to distract attention from their inability to deal with any real issues well i'm gonna take minor issue with something you said cavalcante the guy that they, they just caught he was actually a horrible human being killed people convicted uh, he was actually clever uh, i mean if you watch how he scaled and got himself out and he stayed on the lamp for you know, well, he was uh, heavily hunted. He survived for 10 days. I don't know. So, more, mean, you, so more clever okay. than Kevin McCarthy. Yes, yes. Okay. No one would say if Kevin McCarthy is any sense of the word clever. I stand corrected. Uh, uh, <laughs> on, 
on the question of this impeachment inquiry, I'm not even sure what it means. Is he going to appoint a committee? Or, 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 he doesn't have a vote. Of course, he forget that he said he'd always have a vote. He didn't. It, this reminds me, and I go back to my Civil War history, you know, which I love. So, Justin David stupidly fires Joe Johnson, who was actually one of the better Confederate generals there was, and puts John Bell Hood in there, who was a, a, a huge idiot. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and unlike Kevin McCarthy, was an idiot that got people killed. I mean, there may be some things that McCarthy does will get people killed, but it, John Bell Hood got a lot killed. And so when Sherman was told that he was taking the Army of Tennessee north, he said, good, I'll send him rations. And we know that ended uh, first at Franklin, which was a much worse defeat for the Confederate Army than, than Gettysburg was. People don't remember that. But John Bell's hood charge at Franklin lost way more people than Pickett's charge at Gettysburg, and then they got finished off at Nashville. My point is, good. Good, John Bell Hood. Take your army there. And they're going to march right into crap, and we should encourage this. This is a colossally weak move on McCarthy's part, thinking idiotically, that if he gave the Freedom Caucus this thing, they would not shut the government down over some torpedo tactic on the budget. I think he's going to be proven wrong on that, too. But that's my view. Is it, that is, he is a, a, a weak, he has the intellect of John Bell Hood. That's what I think. That's probably a better analogy, James. I, I accept, <laughs> I accept okay. your amendment. Let me just say this, because, I mean, it is a travesty, but, you know, the comparisons to the Trump. Trump's first impeachment, which his own people, some of his own people testified against him, he tried to shake down a foreign government by threatening to withhold much-needed military assistance, that was Ukraine, unless they dug up some dirt. Didn't matter if it was true on his likely political opponent. That is an impeachable offense. And the second was encouraging an insurrection against the United States of America, a mob assault on the Capitol, trying to overturn an election. <clears throat> a number of Republicans voted to convict him, and others didn't because he was out of office. To compare the two, James, is like equating jaywalking, Biden, to assault and murder. It's just absurd. Yeah, it's, it's like, be like he brought, uh, well, what Hunter did was not jaywalking. It was more serious than that. But, but Biden. Yeah, but Biden. Right, all right, he, he didn't even jaywalk. He didn't do, you know, other than the fact that he probably a lapse in judgment, he should have been more aggressive uh, with his son saying, you know, son, you, you, you shouldn't be doing this at all. Uh, but that's about, that's about it. The, the guy that's been good on this is Dan Abrams, who has uh, always viewed Dan Abrams as kind of slightly right or center, legal commentator, but, you know, not. And he's just adamant. There is zero evidence that Joe Biden did anything wrong. There's a, a mountain of evidence that Hunter Biden did. And, and I, I, I find his analysis on this to be, be quite enlightened, if you will. But I don't think – I think McCarthy – is one of the really kind of pathetic figures in modern Republican politics. Uh, of course, I, I, I can't help but remind people about Dennis Hassard, you know, Coach. We, we tend to have forgotten about him. I just, please, let's don't forget about Coach. Uh, but McCarthy is a exceedingly weak man, and that's just, that's a fact. 
Well, the only strong speaker they've had in the last, I don't know, <clears throat> 30 years or last 80 years, I guess, was John Boehner, uh, and they forced him out. Um, Jim, let me bring up one other issue that's getting some attention, and that's whether the 14th Amendment, which bars from office anyone who engaged in insurrection against the United States, was passed in 1866, post-Civil War, make sure those uh, Southern Confederates didn't hold office again, whether it applies to Trump. Now, when legal scholars Michael Ludig and Larry Tribe say it applies, while Alan Dershowitz and Jonathan Turley say it doesn't apply, game, set, match, it applies. But as a matter of politics and policy, I think it's a really bad idea. I think there would be a cataclysmic reaction. Trump would turn into a martyr. Uh, I'm afraid that it would be viewed as a it would it would validate all the conspiracy charges that are made. And uh, I just think it's one that's um, best left to the academics. I, I, you know, you know me, I love to nitpick with you. I don't see one thing to nitpick on this. I think you're 100 percent right. Uh, I love when Professor Tribe called uh, Jonathan Turdley an idiot publicly. Uh, but I, I, I completely agree, and there's nothing that will make people want to do something more than telling people that they can't do it. And this this has to be flushed out in the political system. I'm sorry. And and the other thing is, when you get a chance, so I, Vivek Ramaswamy says he wants to do away with birthright citizenship. Please read the text of the 14th Amendment. And tell me how you get rid of birthright citizenship. I would be di- I would be dying to know the answer to that. May I ask you one question? Yes. Do you think there is any chance that Vivek has read the text of the Fourteenth Amendment? No, no, I don't. But I, I, it just it it, it 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 doesn't matter. But it cracks me up in one sense. You have to be a strict. It, the right, believe it or not, hates the Fourteenth Amendment which yeah. is probably the most significant amendment that we ever had in the Constitution, but it doesn't matter. It's part of the Constitution. I'm sorry. And it says that any person, it doesn't say citizen, any person born in the United States is a citizen thereof. It couldn't be, it, it couldn't be any clearer. Could yeah. not. Yeah. And, and, and it's done as nothing but good over the years. Nothing I mean, but yeah, good. It's just, uh, you know, it's amazing. If this country thinks they can go and they can stop immigration and deport whatever it is, 10, 11 million, I forget the figure, of undocumented workers as Trump claims he's going to do, you will bring this economy to a standstill. You will bring, you know, cities to a standstill. You will build, you will bring any rebuilding efforts to a standstill. It is, there are a whole bunch of insane ideas out there, but this is in the top three, James. So, I think it was George Will, but this is when the number one as big as it was. If you deported every person that was in this country illegally, the bus line would go from Laredo, Texas to Toronto. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, a great idea. Let's see how you execute it. And just think of all the restaurants and the hotels uh, and the service industries that would close down and the future entrepreneurs of Silicon Valley. Wait a minute. Nursing home workers, roofers, you name it. You you, you can't believe there is not a roofer along the Gulf of Mexico that was born in the United States that I know. Yeah, yeah, no. Absolutely right. 
Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll keep covering the insanity that's called the House of uh, Representatives these days. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, James, our guest is one of the rising stars in the Democratic Party, Connecticut Senator Chris Murphy, who was seeking, I believe, his third term uh, next year. Senator, uh, as you know, the right wing House Republicans have launched an impeachment inquiry into President Biden, which James and I said earlier clearly is a political sham and probably is never going to get to you in the Senate. But what the crazies may do, however, is cause a government shutdown as they reneged on an earlier budget deal and demanding draconian cuts. What are your takes on the politics and the economics and implications of what's going on over there? Yeah, I mean, it's sad, but not surprising. I mean, these are just not serious people in the House of Representatives. They exist to, you know, own the libs, to, you know, become Twitter celebrities uh, and they admit that they have no grounds to impeach Joe Biden and that maybe if they launch an investigation, they'll be able to find some some cause. It's really sad. It makes a mockery of the process. Um, and as you mentioned, it creates real complications just to keep the government open and operating because, um, you know, the House changes their demands every day, but they appear to be saying we are going to refuse to keep the government operating past September 30th unless you do something about uh, one of our other priorities. Either you, you know, allow us to move forward with impeachment proceedings or you stop funding Ukraine or you agree to build a giant border wall with Mexico. Uh, but you know, we're hurtling towards yet another sort of self-imposed crisis at the end of this month. And um, we have no way to negotiate with these guys because every single day their demand changes. And that's just a symptom of them being fundamentally unserious. Senator, even in this polarized environment, you talk to your Senate GOP colleagues. What are they saying about House Republicans? Yeah, I mean, the Senate and the House have always been different places, but they're really different places today. I mean, I've got deep disagreements with Mitch McConnell and you know, Senate Republicans, but you know, they are not arsonists in the way that the House uh, are. And so, you know, we've already um, moved all the appropriations bills, the budget bills, through the Senate Appropriations Committee, all of them with big bipartisan votes. So we've sort of shown that you can get Republicans and Democrats to agree on the budget. Um, I mean, what do they say? I, I mean, they, they, they think that the House is a circus. Um, not every single one of them. You know, some of them, like Senator Tuberville are, you know, frequently participants in that circus, but many others, um, you know, are trying to be responsible conservatives. Uh, and like I said, they would love to be able to talk with the House, but the House has to decide what their demands are, what their bottom lines are first. Let me switch to a couple issues. Uh, gun control. No one has been as passionate or committed 
as Chris Murphy ever since the Newtown massacre. You've had some small victories, uh, red flag warnings, but the big ones, assault weapons ban, longer waiting periods, banning sales to, uh, to teens, you don't appear to be any closer than you were 10 years ago. Uh, I mean, I think it's really important. I think it matters. I think it'd be better for the country. But I must say, it looks, at least from my perspective, from afar, as almost a futile exercise. I'm awful glad you're keeping at it. But boy, is there any grounds for optimism? Yeah, I just think you're wrong. Good. Uh, so, Good. I, yeah, no, I listen. I think if you look at every great social change movement in the history of the country, they didn't you know, succeed in 10 years. They succeeded in 20 years and they had victories along the way that showed that the um, that the paradigm was changing. And that's what the gun bill was last year. Right. The first time in 30 years that you got Republicans to stand up to the NRA. Now, you didn't get all Republicans to stand up to the NRA, but you got 15 senators to vote for a bill that the NRA opposed. That would have been impossible two years ago, five years ago, certainly 10 years ago. And the reason that they changed their mind is that, you know, they really do fear all of these parents, and all these young people out there who are now showing up and demanding that you make progress on guns. And that movement of parents and kids is just going to get more substantial. And so what we did last year, frankly, was not incremental. And I can make the case to you why last year's bill is actually going to result in um, tens of thousands of guns going through background checks that didn't used to. But I think it also is very clearly on a um, on a spectrum. Um, we are going to be able to make more change in the coming years because the politics on this issue are just shifting. So I'm optimistic that we are going to get universal background checks, that we will eventually pass an assault weapons ban. But I actually think the law we passed last year will end up in lower rates of violence in and of itself. James, on this issue, if Al Hunt and Chris Murphy disagree, anybody out there who wants to bet smart money, go with Murphy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I have to be optimistic about this, right? This is my life's work. So in order to get up in the morning, I have to believe what I just told you. But I, I, I think it also has the benefit of being true. Well, I am I am awful glad you're doing it. It's very important for the country. One one more before I turn it over to James. The Ukraine counteroffensive has had some limited success. Um, and, and I want to ask you if you expect the administration soon to approve sending those long-range missiles, maybe with cluster bombs. But if you're Putin right now and you see a 50-50 shot that Trump and your congressional allies, if you will, will be in power 16 months from now, why not hold out for your friends? Oh, 100 percent. I mean, that's that, that that's that's why, um, you know, all of this foot dragging from Republicans on Ukraine aid is so dangerous, even if they don't succeed. I mean, there still is a big bipartisan majority support Ukraine in the House and the Senate. And I believe that we will end up um, continuing to get Ukraine what they need to continue this counteroffensive through the rest of the year into next year. But as you said, Republicans are pretty clearly signaling if they win the White House um, that there's a good chance that the United States will abandon Ukraine. And that is really dangerous because, A, it's a, um, it's demoralizing for the Ukrainians, and B, it probably chills Putin's enthusiasm to come to the table and sue for peace. At, at, at the same time, I think what we have seen is that Putin's hold on power is pretty shaky right now. Uh, and... Um, you know, he may want to hold out until the next presidential election, but he might not be able to uh, as we continue to sort of tighten the noose around him and his economy continues to crumble. He can't get the material that he needs to replenish the military. So 
you know, it certainly is a, you know, a race here. Um, but um, the signals that Republicans are sending are are definitely dangerous. And like, I don't sugarcoat that. That's just that's real. And they have to know the consequences of their rhetoric. James. Oh, thank you, Senator. Justifiably, you've been a, a real lead on, on this gun issue. And I've always tell Democrats, when you talk, don't just talk Dobbs, talk guns. Uh, and talk the idea that the courts have ruled that a, a mental, a wife beater is entitled to a gun. Okay, I'm pretty sure that's a pretty good issue for us. I don't think people want right. But but I'm going to go back, because my own view, and I don't expect anybody to agree, agree or disagree with me, the most consequential event in modern American politics was Bush v. Gore in 2000. All right. That assault weapons were actually banned in this country from 1994 to 2004. You could not buy one. You know what people were doing? They were hunting. They were going to target practice. They belonged to gun clubs. They were marksmen. All of this was going on in the country while school children weren't getting blown away by high-capacity magazines. You know a lot of you have very skilled staff on this. You know a lot of high-end academics and people who study this. I would love for somebody to commission a study and to say, in a rough range, how many people would be alive today if we'd have had an assault weapons ban that stayed in effect? And academics, and you, you can come up with the, the, a, a decent range of figures, and it's not going to be in the hundreds, I promise you. And it's going to be way more young people. And I, I got to say, some people are not that disappointed by Bush v. Gore. I think the first term of the Bush presidency was an absolute disaster. And, and getting rid of the assault weapons ban was a monumental policy disaster. And, and there aren't many charts out there like this chart, right? Because you had um, a, a decent number of mass shootings prior to 1994. Then the mass shootings dramatically decreased, but only for 10 right. years. And as right. soon as those those killers can get their hands on the weapon of mass destruction. The mass shootings start again. And, and I don't I've never understood, James, how to really articulate this. But I know that many parents in Sandy Hook wonder whether that killer would have ever walked into the school if he didn't have access to the air 15. There is some kind of perverse courage that is transferred to a young man contemplating a shooting when they have access to that weapon. They aren't willing to do it if they only have a shotgun or a pistol. And so it's not just that more people get killed and that if you walked in there with a 10 round clip and a pistol instead of a AR-15 and a 30 round clip, there'd be le less people dead. It's also a lot of these killers would never carry out the killing in the first place because they, feel safe with that weapon. And you saw it in Uvalde, right? That guy felt safe because he knew those adults were going to leave him alone if he had an AR-15. They were going to cower outside of that classroom because they didn't right. want to walk in and confront somebody with an AR-15. And so without that weapon, a lot of these a lot of these madmen never walk into the movie theater or the classroom of the church right. in the first place. I, I'm, I, I'm I, 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 I would love to see a credible piece of research. There's somewhere between X and X number of people. Obviously, we can't give you a precise number, but we can we can definitely good sign. You have some pretty good academic institutions in your state, as I, I, I believe. But, but they're around the country, and you're very you know people who study this, who are experts, who can do this.
but it, and when people say common sense gun control, most gun control is common sense. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, we feel it. Okay, what's not uh, banning? You know, you can't ban all weapons. I understand that. What, what's the the one thing that I have? And tell me why I'm wrong. I've like almost given up. I mean, fuck it. There's 350 million guns in the country, and if you ban them all today, you're still stuck with them. Is there anything we can do? about the huge inventory that exists today. Yeah, so I, I get that frustration and that narrative, and it's just absolutely stunning how many more guns are being sold today, right? This, this culture of fear that Republicans and conservatives and the right in coordination with the gun industry has sold us has resulted in the number of gun sales um, increasing tenfold just since I've been in Congress. Um, and, and so you are dealing with a ton of weapons out there that you can't, take back because none of us are talking about taking weapons from people that own them lawfully take. But the truth of the matter is a lot of these crimes get committed with weapons that were very recently purchased, right? Somebody is getting ready to commit a crime. They go out and buy a weapon either legally or illegally, and they commit the crime. And so even though you've got a lot of weapons in circulation, if you do a better job of stopping criminals or the seriously mentally ill from getting weapons um, and you get the and you stop the transfer of the assault weapons, you are going to save lives because, yes, the people who have assault weapons, we can't take them back. But if nobody knew can ever get an assault weapon, um, then you are going to stop a lot of really seriously deranged people from getting the weapons who have an intention to use it to commit a mass atrocity. Thank you, Senator Albert. Senator, let me ask you about presidential politics. Biden, you pointed out, displayed real diplomatic skills at the G20 and and in uh, and in the relations with Vietnam. Uh, but every call that I got in the last couple of days about all that, and almost all from Democrats, focused on a press conference that was cut off prematurely and mixed up words. He has enormous accomplishments, including in 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 Asia. But the main takeaway seems to just reinforce the perception that he's not up to four more years. He's too old. How do you change that? Yeah, you know, I've you know had a sort of ongoing conversation with some of the political press up here about this. Um, you know, listen, there are some real organic stories that the press covers, and then there are other stories that tend to be created by the political press. And I just didn't hear a lot organically back in Connecticut about the president's competency um, until the, the political press started picking up the narrative that was being pushed by the right about the president's age connected to his competency. Um, and so now you do see in polls that voters care about this issue. But I'm not sure that they cared about it until they were told that they were supposed to care about it. Um, and I just think we need to do a better job of explaining exactly the job in a in a in a real granular way that the president is doing. And I'll just give you you know the gun bill as a as an example. Um, you know this president was intimately involved in getting that gun bill passed. It wouldn't have passed without him. And I'll give you one specific example. Um, the week after Uvalde, we all went home. And there was a real worry. We went home for a recess, Memorial Day recess. Real worry that this thing was going to just disappear. The momentum was going to dissipate. 
um, he decided that he wanted to do a primetime televised address. And, you know, you only get a handful of those as president. Um, I know he had advisors telling him that he shouldn't do that, that he should save it for something else. He made the decision to do it. And not only that, but then he called me up and said, listen, let's work together on how I can talk to the nation in a way that helps your negotiations, doesn't hurt them. Um, that wasn't his staff. That was the president himself making that decision, doing the hard work of writing that speech. Um, and it worked. Uh, it was a perfect balance of shaming but outreach to Republicans, and it helped us keep the negotiations going. And so it's just not true that this guy can't do the job. He's doing it better than most anybody else I've seen do it. And as evidenced by the fact that for 30 years, we couldn't get a gun violence bill passed, and we did it under Joe Biden. Let me switch subjects um, again. You you recently chastised liberals for letting conservatives claim the song that's gone so viral, Rich Men North of uh, Richmond. Explain why. I don't know that I chastised liberals. Well, but, you kind of uh, said, you know, my, but no, my point is that, like, listen, um, we should be in the business of building bigger coalitions. We should want to win elections by more votes. We shouldn't be satisfied that we have this super narrow majority in presidential elections, that we can barely win the Senate, and our best case is 52 seats. Um, we should want to build bigger political coalitions. And so when I hear somebody singing a song about how soulless work is and how the pay doesn't match the effort and how corporations have too much power, um, man, I sort of feel like we should be talking to that guy and all the people who are listening to that song and invite them to be part of our coalition. Because guess what? We have the progressive coalition, the Democrats, have the answers for people who are concerned about out-of-control corporations, soulless work, and low wages. Now, yes, that guy said some loopy things in that song. Um, he blamed his plight on food stamps, right? That's inaccurate. But I don't know that the right response to that song is ridicule, which is a lot of what I heard. I think the right response is to see it as an opportunity and to reach out to those audiences that think like him, the government needs to get involved a little bit more in the economy to take power from the elites and give it to normal people. Um, and, and, and I think we should be doing more of that rather than what we sometimes do, which is if you don't agree with us on everything, on all the economic issues and all the cultural issues and all the social issues, we're not talking to you. Right? Um, we should be interested in conversion. Sometimes conversion happens by getting somebody into the tent based upon our agreement on economic issues, and then we work on you on the disagreements. Um, and, you know, sometimes that's not the way that the progressive coalition works. I wish it I wish it, I wish it did. Yeah, I, I agree with you totally. I can make a really compelling point. But would you also acknowledge that sometimes, certainly not you, but some liberals convey a certain elitism or disdain even for the sort of people that that song was talking about? Well, listen, I think we can I think we can be judgmental and, and often for good reason. Right. Because the, the fights that we're engaged in are existential. And so when you look at the campaign of hate, and discrimination that's happening against gay people and transgender kids in this country. Um, yeah, you, you, like I don't blame people for being judgmental about folks who align themselves with that campaign of repression and hate. Um, but ultimately, my argument is that 
we might be we might have a better chance at converting people and convincing them to give up that campaign of hate if we are finding ways to work with them, like on increasing the minimum wage, and then, well, we got them, <laughs> make the argument to them that they're, you know, ass backwards when it comes to the way that they think about gay people. Um, so, yeah, sometimes we can be judgmental. Um, and I don't hate on people for that, but I just think that there's a better way to convince people and grow the coalition. James, the senator is singing your song. Right, he's, he's definitely, he was singing it. And please keep singing the song. And we don't need to coastal people, overeducated people, do not to send, to send vapors around the country that they're smarter than everybody else and they have to answer to everything. And anybody that lives more than 50 miles from salt water, stupid. Okay, <laughs> and people, and I, I can assure you that vibe is heard. It, it, it exists. And when people like you from a state like Connecticut say that, uh, congratulations. I think it was very important that you say that. And I, yeah, and, and I, and I listen, I, I, I certainly got flagged right. for it. I, I, I understand. But, you know, we're talking tactics um, here. And, um, you know, again, I just right. I just look at, you know, I'm in the Senate. Right. You know, on a, on a best case day, we right. can get to, you know, 50 three, four seats in the Senate. We shouldn't accept that. We shouldn't accept being um, unelectable as a party in states that like just two minutes ago we were able to be competitive in. Um, and, and we should ask ourselves, why has that happened? It's, it's complicated, but it's not unsolvable. But it involves, you know, reaching out to some communities where we don't have 100% alignment with and having Honest conversations with them. It's not Kentucky, but there are people in New England that are kind of closer to Appalachia than we think. People in upstate New York, Western Massachusetts, some even people in Connecticut. Or, or you've got a significant number of, of white working class voters in your own state. I mean, we, we look at it and we think of, you know, Fair, Fairfield County. It's a lot more than that, I promise you. <laughs> yeah, we've got, I mean, listen, I mean, Donald Trump still gets 40% of the vote. Right. Connecticut. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and frankly, we've seen a lot of what's happened in, in the country happen in Connecticut. The small industrial cities in Connecticut that were built around one industry that right. now have a lot of unhappy people who are in a sort of crisis of identity because that industry is gone. They're voting for Republicans these days just as often as they're voting for Republicans because they don't believe that our party is as invested as Republicans in dismantling the status quo power arrangements. And that's um, that's damning um, because it's not true, but we've given off that vibe that we are interested in defending the status quo as as much as we are um, taking it on. Yeah, um, just you know, quick point. My daughter went to school in upstate New York. It's pretty, you know, southern Vermont, western Massachusetts. I mean, they know they're people too. So, uh, before I let you go, uh, I just want to you can't drive the Supreme Court thing hard enough. It, the politics of this, we're so accustomed to people not voting on the courts. Uh, you know, it's not, no, it's big. It's really big, and it's and it's big on Dobbs. It's huge on guns. It's really huge on ethics. And if I'm putting on my hat as a little bit of a political consultant, and you're talking to the caucus, right? So in the Marine Corps, there's a tradition: the commandant always eats last. 
that, 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 that is inbred in the entire thing. Because if you're going to make the rules, you got, you, you, you got to play by them to the nth degree. And what I hope that you're able to convey to your colleagues is simply this. Why do federal district court judges set on one set of rules and the Supreme Court under another set of rules? That makes no sense. All right? If the commandant eats last, why can't Alito follow the same rule as some as a judge and federal judge in some district court in Connecticut? And I, 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 I'm just, well, I got your ear here. I'm just being a, a little preachy, but I, you, you can get with our friend Senator Whitehouse, who's a good friend of this show, and say, Sheldon, we got to drive this thing home hard. No, listen, preach. Um, listen, I inter- it's funny. I, Sheldon is the leader on this now, but um, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I introduced the bill to hold the Supreme Court to the same standard as lower district court judges. I used to do a lot more work on this than I do now. But um, I also think that, listen, I here's my other, the other, when I'm wearing my political consultant hat, right, I am constantly telling my Democratic allies that, you know, we have to tell people who Republicans are. Um, you know, we love to talk about ourselves and we love to talk about the good things that we stand for, but we have to tell people who Republicans are. And Republicans um, seek power for one reason and one reason only, to help corporations and billionaires. And they've proven it over and over and over again. And the Supreme Court story, right, is part of that story because you see Congress captured by billionaires and corporations when Republicans are in charge. And you now see those same corporations and billionaires capturing the Supreme Court. And it's in a little different way. It's, you know, through vacations and, you know, purchases of your parents' homes. But it's the same crowd, the the the, the, the elite of the elite that use conservatives on the court and Republicans in Congress to screw working people and get what they need. And that story is all linked together. And we just have to we just have to tell it. I, I, and I bet you more stories are coming that way. Yeah. I, I just bet you. Uh, Since I can't thank you enough for taking time, I huge admire you. I'm with my campaign for you in 2006. And you hadn't needed my help since then, thank God. You seem to be doing all right on your own. I still remember that day at a, at a, at a home in suburban uh, Avon, Connecticut. That's because you taught him well, James. Uh, I would just add to James's point about abortion center. I talked to a good friend who's running a campaign in Los Angeles this year, and he said there are three big issues. Crime, homelessness, no surprise, right? Third is abortion. That's a local race. It it resonates everywhere. I think James is absolutely right on, and I'll second his uh, immense admiration for you. And uh, when it comes to gun controls, as I said earlier, listen to Murphy, not Hunt. And uh, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, guys. Big admirers of yours as well. So uh, thrilled to be with you. Take care. Appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All right, now for my outrage of the week. You know, when I hear blowhards like Congressman Chip Roy and Matt Getz rail against big spending and force Republicans to renege on a budget deal they made only months ago, I want you to think of some shocking data that was out this week. The child poverty rate in America, the wealthiest country in the world, more than doubled this year to 12.4%. Why? Mainly the failure to extend the expanded refundable child tax credit that provided extra money for essentials, food, housing, child care, 
for poor families. The right-wing blowhards who love the huge budget-busting Trump tax cuts that primarily benefit the rich seem oblivious to what really is an outrage, James, that one in eight children in America, in America, live in poverty today. I, 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 this is my day to agree with you, not just agree, but to agree profoundly. And I, honestly, I thought about using this, and I said, no, I bet you Al does. And we didn't, we didn't discuss this before. We didn't, no. We, we did not discuss it before. And, of course, I, I would love to see where the religious community is. I, you know, the U.S. Conference of Bishops, the Southern Baptist Convention, the, the Lutherans, the Presbyterians, the Rabbinical Council, the the, the Muslims. I, 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 I can't imagine that there's anything in religious teaching that does not teach you, you know, to respect the least among thee. But, you know, you can't raise any money from rich donors talking about helping poor children. But it, it, it's beyond a freaking outrage. And the other thing is... This stuff works, right? These kind of policy interventions. Yep. There was a time when we said, well, it's, it, it's well-intended, but you don't know how it's going to work out. They're not just well-intended. They work profoundly well. That, towel, that refund feeds people. That refund gives people shelter. That refund clothes people, gives people clothing. We know that beyond any doubt. So I, I am in a thousand percent concurrence on this, and I actually thought about doing it, and I said to myself, I know Al's going to jump on this. I, I, I don't have a, a, an outrage so much as an observation, and it's almost comical, is this Tim Scott girlfriend story, and, and we got to get this guy, Ben Terrace, I, I, I don't know him, but he's a good cultural reporter in addition to political reporter. Good, it, good reporter. Yeah, it, and this... It's illustrative of what I don't know, but I, I, you know, obviously the stuff is he gay? Is he not? I don't give a shit. No, you know, but they and you know they have this whole thing about Josh Hawley and manly culture, but whatever. Tim Scott thought he had to address this. I have no fucking idea. Kathy has a girlfriend. He doesn't have a girlfriend. He got a boyfriend. Earlier this year, he said he was a he's believed in abstinence for himself, which, I'm, you know, we want a president, we can drink a beer with, well, I don't want a president that's, you know, <laughs> doesn't believe in that. Hey, you may not want to go there. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I don't mind going there, but I'm just, my point is, it's just a, it, it's apropos of not much, but it's just, it's interesting to think that they felt like they had to address this. And it, it just, that they got Ben Terrace is a He's a good reporter. I, I don't know him, but it, it, I follow him. And there's a person at New York Magazine called Margaret Hartman. And I think she's an exceptionally good political cultural reporter. Exceptionally good. I've been following Ben. I got I'm, I'm, you, you, I don't read New York Magazine as regularly I'm as big, I should, and you right. are a huge supporter. And I'm gonna, I, I am. You're, you're going to get me there, James. Yeah, you know, I, I am. I, I'm I, learning I, from you. Right. Just like I, you I, made Chris Murphy in 2006, you're going to make me right. in 2006. <laughs> right. Yeah. Avon, Connecticut. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I, 
Remember uh, Jim Webb, Senator Webb? Oh, sure I do. Yeah, He was I one know. of the more unique people in the history of the United States Senate. And I'll, I'll never forget, I was at that, and he had a semi scene in a war book. I was a, a, a real war hero. And he was and, a very a good a writer, a good novelist. Yeah. And he had written a semi scene, and they were bringing it up and they were trying to explain and I was in I had a cell phone in so I called his campaign manager and I said I think y'all screwing this thing up I said goddamn right wrote that you know when she said well uh, James just call, call Jim I said well I tell you just call Jim just give him a cell number so pick up the phone I said uh Hey Jim, it's James Carver. He said, oh, James, how you doing? It's like I, oh, okay, good. You know, I said, look, I think y'all fucking this response up. As opposed to saying it was part of literature and this and that, I said, well, you're damn right already. This is about people at war and blah blah. blah. I said, yeah, it's a good idea. I think I'll say it. Bye. <laughs> I mean, usually people would, yeah, you can't get to the guy, and we'll do it, and we'll have a meeting, and we'll run it by this. It, I can't remember. It was a woman campaign manager. I said, well, just call Jim directly. This is his cell phone. Oh man, he, he was a, he was an original. He was a real original. I mean, and, and, and Jim Fowler's introduced me to him. Yeah. And well, remember he, he, Bob Timberg wrote that great book about the Naval Academy class, I guess, of I think it was it was 1958. And Jim Webb and John McCain and John Poindexter and Ollie right. and Bud McFarlane. Man, I will tell you, I mean, they went they, there were some great ones and there were not so great ones. That, that had everything. It did. It that, did. That, that had that, that that class had everything. But Naval Academy is just such a. I, I I don't know what I like, but I've been to both it and I've been to West Point and I, I'm torn as to which one I like better. Oh, it's easy for me, James. When I go to Annapolis, I like the Naval Academy best. And when I go to West Point, I like, right. uh, I like the military right. Academy and, and, and They're very um, different. The Naval Academy is kind of small. Yeah, yeah. It's not, you know, and the, I love the houses at the Admirals and it's, it's, I do too, but they both. I, I love the fact they're on the Hudson and the Severn. There's just they're wonderful. Right. They're scenic, and you know the history is so extraordinary. No. I, I I had never been to West Point, and I was having lunch, I guess, with Jack Reed, the senator from Rhode Island, who was a great West Point graduate, 82nd right. Airborne Division hero, and he basically said, "I can't believe you haven't been to West Point. That is a sin." And he arranged for me to go up there for three days. It was wonderful. I got to lecture. I so right. admired those young cadets. They were unbelievable. To watch you. a parade where the captain of the Corps was this terrific woman from New Jersey. And to top it off, James, it was, I mean, I was awed by the place. And Wake Forest was there and they beat Army in football. So it made for a perfect three days. So, yeah, we played Army this year in Baton Rouge. And, but, uh, Grandson's pediatrician is a West Point graduate, and he told me, I said, tell you, Daddy, I'm not going to be pulling fellow's shoes, so I'm getting him up tickets on the box level. And out of the, the West Point AD is a big played baseball at Wake Forest. Yeah, yeah. I don't know him, but I, but yeah, I, I know that. But, yeah, and he's, a, a, you know, obviously, the, you know, top top quality guy, but I'm trying to call him um, Dr. Wayne is going to come by and, and, and see you. And our governor is also a West Point graduate. 
John, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, when you go to a game at Mikey Stadium, it's it's really unbelievable when that Corps of Cadet marches in and you see, you know, on the wall, Blanchard and Davis and Dawkins and the ghost of the great Red Blake teams. I mean, people forget uh, Army used to be one of the two or three best football programs in America mm-hmm. for the 40s and 50s. Doc, but, Doc uh, Blanchard is from Bay St. Louis, Mississippi, where I'm sitting oh, right now. Mr. Inside. That's <laughs> right, huh? Right. Absolutely. Remember you did that piece on the 10 best yeah, West Point generals? Yeah, you you yeah. said that you got more comment on that than anything you've ever done. Oh, my God. And they were furious. I mean, I'm not a big MacArthur fan. I had him, I don't know, four or five, and they were oh, furious. I wouldn't have him. I, I, I agree yeah. with the critics. And 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 then I, I didn't include Robert E. Lee, and I got all these letters, and he said, why didn't you include General Lee? And I said, because he, he was a traitor to his country. It's that simple. You know, I think there's a case to be made to not include Lee based on his performance. I think they're the case, okay? It's kind of hard. Well, he's a traitor, so, but but if he was on there, yeah. well, I, 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 I actually think there's a performance case. The, the, the one that I really agreed with you on is how high you put General Ridgeway. Yeah, that that, oh. that 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 I I, I can completely you know like anybody else I would come back and you know and and, and the idea of doing these things is you want people to nitpick you know and exactly. I would put you know Grant ahead of Eisenhower would have put some this person Sherman ahead of this person or that person I I I don't think MacArthur should be in the top ten he, he I, I mean he fucked too much up he was a brave soldier that that's no doubt about that I mean World War One he had an incredible combat record. You know, his daddy was one of Mel Abana at, at Chattanooga, one of the great... In the Civil War, right. In the Civil War. And he and won he World was, War One. He was obviously, you know, the, the right person to, or, you know, did a good job in Japan. He completely fucked up uh, his command in the Philippines. They left the airplanes out where they could be. He completely screwed up in, in Korea. I mean, Ridgeway had to come in and save his ass. In, Other I, than the, the the Inchon landing was brilliant, but uh, brilliant, but it was but the rest. The, the rest, rest was, was a, right, t- total dis- yeah. a disaster, and his whole, uh, you know, well, well, we'll talk about this another time. It's, no, this is a great, you know, I was, I think I may have told this story before, but when you get to be my age, you repeat yourself. I was uh, at, a, at a, a a party in Vail, Colorado. A bunch of Republicans were sitting around complaining about Clinton or Obama and Colonel John Glenn was in the group. And someone said, we need someone like MacArthur now. That's what we need. And they looked at, uh, at Colonel Glenn, who's one of the great heroes in the history of America. And they said, you know, what do you think, John? And Glenn looked at him and said, I'm glad Truman fired his ass. Uh, I thought that just summed up, uh, summed up MacArthur. You know, my family, uh, my grandmother was a five-star mother. And they were very, very, very pretty deep military background in the Corvios. And, but a lot of them were pretty conservative, you know, to say the least. It was a 100% agreement that Truman was in the right and MacArthur was in the wrong. Right. That there wasn't right. any, like, no, you can't do that. You you, right. you can't fuck right. the president. Right. And, you know, I, there are people in, in I have uncles and cousins that would have probably voted for MacArthur but would not def- – would say Truman had every right to do that, which of course he did. And he didn't have the right to do it. It was the right thing to do. It's insubordinate right. fucking asshole is what he was. 
Well, I agree. And I tell you, when I did that, I really debated back and forth on Grant Eisenhower. They were clearly the one, too. And you can argue it both ways, but right. uh, they, they they both were extraordinary. If I did it again, I would put both Ridgeway and um, and William Tecumseh Sherman uh, even higher because right. they, right. they, they may deserve three, four, at least four or five. But anyway, right. I, it, I, it was great fun to do. I, and, uh, everybody knows Sherman, you know, so that's great. But not everybody knows Ridgeway. That's true. That's true. You know, that's why those things are important that people do them. James, I have one more segment I want to do today, and that's our Screw the Voter. It's a little bit different. We always draw on the invaluable Brennan Center, and the recommend, but they've now made recommendations on how states can stop voters from being screwed at the ballot next year. And this is courtesy of the great Michael Waldman's colleague, Alice Chapman, uh, who's li- who, who has illustrated how to prevent a Trump-like attempt to steal elections in some of these states. She says in Georgia, the data systems were breached by insiders sympathetic to Trump, and they've got to implement best practices for preventing, detecting, and confirming similar breaches. You hear that, Georgia? Arizona needs to prohibit partisan interference in the vote counting process. Pennsylvania should clarify its laws so that mail ballots with minor bureaucratic errors can be cured and rightfully counted. Wisconsin, which has become a disgrace, those Republicans out there, should allow election officials to begin processing absentee and mail ballots before Election Day to prevent another red mirage. That's where there's a false impression that a Republican has won on Election Day and later reversed as mail ballots are counted in the ensuing days. Used to be Republicans voted earlier by mail. Uh, And Nevada must work to train its new election officials as a generation of experienced workers in Nevada have left following threats of violence and political interference. I'll tell you something. I think if all of Alice's recommendations are followed, we'll have a, I think, a much more credible uh, election than otherwise. You know, Albert, one of the things I I take a a great deal of just personal satisfaction is the number of people from the 92 war room, what they've accomplished in their lives. There's probably none that I'm more proud of than Michael Waldman and what he's doing at the Brennan Center. Oh, boy. I mean, he he was always a a, a really good guy. He's always, you know, very smart. And, you know, a lot of people did well and made a lot of money and did different devils of life. And I wouldn't question any of them, and I'm glad for their success. But uh, I think Michael's continuing influence on, on, on policy is highly admirable. I really do. Yeah, yeah. I think you nominated him for a Nobel Prize, and I would, um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll join <laughs> no, you over there. No, he, he is great, and, and no, that Brennan and they Center, do, they, they, they do terrific. great work. They do great work. And, and I must they, say, they never make a they don't make a mistake. Oh, they are meticulous. There's a woman down here, Rebecca Autry, who helps me get some of these, and they're all terrific. Right. Um, so here's for to sure. the Brennan Center. All right, James, we've got a whole bunch of good questions now. Justin right. in Kensington, Maryland, which is a stone's throw from where I am right now, said he was a lifelong Republican before, be, before becoming an independent when Trump was elected. He said he voted for Biden in 2020, but his vote was a vote against Trump. He wants to know, does the Biden team understand that a lot of the votes cast by independents were votes against Trump, not for Biden? A candidate replacing Biden makes it a sweep, not a toss-up. 
Well, let's back up. The point is spot on. All right. And, you know, there's an old saying, sometimes you're born on third and you think you hit a triple. All right. But Biden acknowledges that. He says that choice is not about the almighty, but the alternative. Okay, can I say something critical here? That's hardly an inspiring message. Right. I mean, it, it's true, but he, he, you know, I'm the alternative. Vote for me. You're right. We, we vote for him. By the way, our friend, friend in Maryland has uh, got too much common sense and too patriotic to not assume that it is Trump. By the way, in the poll, I thought the most significant number was against Nikki Haley. Biden gets 43. I have never seen an incumbent president at 43 against anybody. All right. So our friend is right on the spot. And they will tell you if you talk to them that we got we're getting 15 percent of people who give us a a bad job rating that are voting for us. Great. Uh, But that ain't. That ain't going to necessarily get you across the finish line. But I think our friend had a, a, a very good point here. Yeah, I do, too. I mean, I think I mean, what you're saying is to say I'm not a day at the beach, but the other guy's worse. It's just right, not right. exactly going to bring and, people uh, out. Yeah, yeah that, 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 that's just it's, that's not, that's not where the country is, man. It just isn't. I mean, you might – you could be right. I, I the chances of 55, 45, you're right. You know how big 45% is? <laughs> it's huge. <laughs> it is, it's huge. right. It, it, you're talking about a 45% chance of, a, of, a, of a, the end of the Constitution in the United States. And I'm not exaggerating at all. Yeah. No, uh, we're going to stay in the Washington metro area. We have Ralph in Fairfax, Virginia, who who asked, why does everyone keep making such an issue of Joe Biden's age? Should during his second term in office, Mr. Biden die or become unable to perform his duties as president? uh, Kamala Harris would step in the Oval Office and there would be little change with the executive branch continuing to function. Ralph, I got to tell you, whether you like it or not, Kamala Harris is more of a problem than Joe Biden. Uh, I think one of the Republicans' lines is this year is, look, Biden's old and look what you get next. Maybe she can turn it around in the next year. But, boy, I got to tell you, she's been in office for two and a half years and um, she hadn't left a whole lot of uh, good footprints, James. You know, uh, of course, you're right. Uh, that's inarguable. I, I, maybe it's just a place you can't survive. You know, her people – the as our friend Frank Foyer pointed out, it's not all hunky-dory. You and I know this to be a fact, all right? I'm not telling you dinner party gossip. Uh, Biden people did not want her. That's just a fact. A lot, right. a lot of very senior people. Uh, her people, particularly A. Smith, did a good job of jamming them. And now, of course, what they're going to do? And... You know, it, 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 it's a legitimate question. She might be the most capable person in America, but she's not convinced anyone of that yet. So I don't, I don't know. I, it's just, we, you know, they got so many issues ahead of them. 
uh, you know, her, what to do about New Hampshire, what to do about this. And every time they send somebody out and says, well, I was in a meeting with the president, I find him to be quite cognitive. Well, okay, great. I think I think, I think if you were in a meeting with him, he, he, he would be quite cognitive. But, but that's hardly a, an endorsement. <laughs> no, and James, uh, the next question is keeping the age issue a lot. Shane in Minneapolis, Minnesota, my wife just spent a couple of good days out there reporting on a story. How much could the unrelenting focus on Biden's age, including on the part of my two favorite podcast hosts, I think Shane's directing that at us, James. Oh, thank you, Shane. Versus a direct and relentless pivot to the many accomplishments that have occurred while Biden has been president. Isn't that going to hurt Democratic fundraising when we rail and rant about it, James? You know... This is not a stupid argument. People say, you, you know, we've got to fall in, fall in line behind Biden. You don't want a primary. It's going to, like, split the party even more. We want to be unified. He, he deserves re-election. He's had a record quite remarkable, maybe as good a first four years as any president's had since Franklin Roosevelt. Okay, I'm sorry. That's a very tenable position. That's not a... I can't say that, that that's crazy. The, and so you say, well, Alan James uh, uh, questioned whether he should run for re-election because they think that, you know, it, it, age issue. Is, it really, at one level, doesn't matter what you and I think. The voters think he's too old. It's 77%. Right? Who gives a shit what a bunch of old guys that been around forever really think. I mean, we have an opinion. We know a little bit about what the job entails. We know a little bit about what the aging process entails. But that's not the question. The question to, to my friend in Minneapolis is, you may be right, but the people that ultimately decide just do not agree with you. And that's a problem, a huge problem. Yeah, uh, I, all I can do is second that, James. Uh, you know, and I, I wish it weren't a problem. I hope it goes away. Uh, if it's Biden versus Trump, it'll be the easiest vote I've ever cast, maybe even easier than 2020 because the return would be the – it would just be evil. But, uh, but it's exactly what people think. Bob in Boise, Idaho. Oh, says, wow. Says it seems to me that if President Biden wants to cr- crush the Republicans in 2024 – he simply needs to promise to pardon Trump. He can take the Gerald Ford approach for the good of the country, unity of the people bullshit approach if he chooses. Agree? Bob, no. In a word, I don't. First of all, I would remind you a little bit of history. I think one of the reasons Gerald Ford lost the election was because he didn't handle the Nixon pardon correctly. I think, by the way, it was a correct decision, but he just didn't do it very well. This would be much worse. There is no basis to – I mean, I mean, Nixon – probably deserved his fate. But again, uh, he, he was a paragon of virtue next to Donald Trump. And James and I have discussed this before. If there ever is a time to pardon Trump or to consider a pardon of Trump, it would be after the next election, after he's been convicted two or three times, after he faces a potential uh, jail sentence. And then it would only be under the condition that he admits all of his sins, which is going to be hard for him to do. Uh, but uh, uh, unless that condition is met, uh, take pardon off the table, Bob. I, I disagree somewhat. If okay. he came before the election, before he was convicted, it admitted that he was wrong. He asked for the pardon and said he wouldn't run. 
I think there's a call, I've, uh, there's a callable case to grab the pardon. Just yeah, there may be. The there may okay, be. but but I, I, it, it's all very hypothetical. He's a career criminal. He is not going to stop committing crimes. He's having. It, it, he's starting to pay. It, it, man, his legal fees. Are, he just sold his golf course in New York. Now, maybe they thought the market was right for this sale, but maybe he's getting he's getting slaughtered, and he needs and he needs to continue to get slaughtered. And I'll tell you, it's Jack Smith and Fannie Willis. They ain't giving up. They 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 gonna pursue him to the ends of the earth. I'll probably you know that's pretty clear. And for that, I give them a lot of credit. Yeah, I do too. I do too. So um, you know, I. Uh Pardon, a pardon ain't ain't in the in the works right now. Right now, no. But, it's a lot of. We're going to stay with the uh, Northwest. Um, Kevin and Everett Washington says to you, James. Multiple reports over the last few years say that white people will be a minority in America in fifteen to twenty years. Do you think this is the reason Republicans are so eager to make voting harder, and is the reason behind so much of the current GOP becoming a fascist party? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. Yes. And, and what they will tell you, and I, I've heard this in a number of people that say that we're going to do, and they look at, they're going to preserve the country we had, or had, or have, all right, which, you know, is dominated by white culture. But, but that, and if we don't act now to do whatever we can to retain this, we're going to lose the country that we all knew. We're yep. probably going to lose it anyway, and who's not to say it would be a better country. But that is a – that motivates them very, very, very much. And, it, you know, it's our country is going to be younger. It's going to be more diverse. It's going to be more pe- people of color. It's going to be more people from different – you know, from South Asian, you know, South American, South – Whatever, and it, 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 it's coming, and they believe that it's their destiny to stop this process or slow it down as much as they can, because they believe that the country that they knew is going to be gone, and it's going to be gone, and it's probably the better for it. Yeah, in addition to making voting harder, it's also part of their their anti-immigration. You know, the so-called. Right. Re, you know, replacement uh, theory, which is nothing other than white nationalism. Right, uh, right. But, but, uh, but yes, it does. The, 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 my, my friend from Everett, your question is pertinent. It's spot on. And the answer is, is unreservedly and immediately yes. Yes, it is. James Chris in West Chicago, Illinois says House Republicans seem intent to form a circular firing squad with the upcoming budget discussions. Why are moderates in the Republican Party so afraid to flex their muscles like the Freedom Caucus members are doing? Isn't there much more strength in the middle than on the fringes? And is it McCarthy's failure of leadership to seize on this? Um, James says, I've been looking for the good moderate Republican for years. Uh, I'm afraid I ain't going to find him in that uh, in that House caucus. There are 20 Republicans, the timid 20, I've called them, that either represent districts that were won by uh, Joe Biden or they won by less than 1%. And they're going to be tested now. They're going to be tested on impeachment. They're going to be tested on the budget. Uh, and if they stand up, they can uh, prevail. And uh, they will say, well, you know, who are we going to get? Who can be better than Kevin McCarthy? 
think my answer to them was, who's going to be worse than Kevin McCarthy? Uh, and uh, so we'll, you know, maybe we'll find four or five. It's not courage, it's self-interest. And in a way, a lot of Democrats hope they don't stand up because they think those new members from California, from from New York, uh, you know, from Michigan, from New Jersey, from Pennsylvania, they're very beatable if they keep uh, if they support a Biden impeachment and a government shutdown. So that's all. That's the only thing I can tell you, Chris. So, Albert, if you talk to one of these guys, people, or some, some of not guys, and just say the 18 districts that Biden carried that the Republicans won. Right. Or you talk to people that served in the Trump administration, and they'd say, look, you're right, these people are crazy, but I can do more good on the inside yeah. than I can on the outside. And so if you replace, you know, Nebraska too, you know, I'm a moderating influence on that caucus. Well, first of all, you know such thing. They don't give a shit, you know. Yeah. You either go along or you don't. And that was what the, the justification of, of certain people in the Trump administration was. Well, I'm there. I can I can serve as a curb on him. And that's that's how people justified. And, yeah, we go along, but, you know, we were able to do this in, in, in the caucus and that. You know, it's all moral cowardness and just putting one's interests ahead of the country. And, you know, we'll, we'll wait for somebody to sort of come up and say something. But right now, no one has said anything. I mean, yeah. they, they obviously didn't have the vote for an impeachment inquiry. So McCarthy had to circumvent that. But they're, 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 they're a very, the, the 18 are very compliant people. I'll they say sure, that they, they, they sure are. James, our final question is from Chris in Liverpool, UK. Oh, wow. So we're hearing from, from Beetle Country. Uh, and he says, looking ahead to the Senate elections in 2024, which incumbent do you, Mr. Carville, think has the best chance of hanging on? Sherrod Brown or John Tester? Oh, boy. Thank you for the question because you make me think. Uh I guess if if in there if 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 Tester gets Rosendale, is that clear now? Don't, don't we have a, a late primary on the Republican side in Montana? I think so. I'm not sure. Yeah, I, it, it, uh, it, it, I think the primaries are not to be determined. And in, right. in, in Ohio, there's certain. It, it, I, I, you know, I'm not trying to welch out. I thank you for the question. It's a very provocative question. It made me think. Let's revisit this question after we know who the Republican nominees are going to be against the two of them. I think I think we found out in 2022 that opposition matters. Yeah, I James, I would agree with you totally, and I would say if I had to force to bet right now, I'd bet on Tester and Brown because they are great candidates. If there was anybody else running in Ohio or Montana, you know. You hand it over to the R's. I, I, uh, I, I know that people that are running a test of campaign, and Shelby Donick is, is quite competent, which she does. And, you know, I'm sure Brown has got, you know, they're both pretty savvy people, and they'll, they'll go down. In, in, but if they get the right opponent, I think they both can win. Yeah, yeah. Even if yeah. they get the wrong opponent, they might be able to win. Yeah. 
Okay, listen, we love those questions uh, that go all the way from the Washington Beltway to the UK uh, to Everett, Washington. So keep them coming. Uh, and if we didn't get to them this week, we'll try to get to them next week. So thank yeah, and our you. Friend, our friend from Boise, I've never been, but people have gone, have, have really liked Boise, Idaho a lot. Oh. It's, a, it's kind of state capital and, you know, Boise State's pretty big university. And it's, it's a very, very cool place to be. I want to get there one time. It is an oasis in a state that, I'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, all right, but please keep those. We love the, we love your questions uh, and we uh, hope to get a lot more uh, in the weeks ahead. Great. Hey, thanks for listening to Politics War Room with James Carville, and I'm Al Hunt. Don't forget to send your questions for us by email to politicswarroom at gmail.com or tweet them for next week's show at Politicon. Following this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you check out the links to our sponsors, ZBiotics and ExpressVPN, in our show notes. We deeply thank you for supporting them because when you do, you help make this podcast happen. To keep up with us, subscribe to Politics War Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And remember, please rate the show with a five-star review. We'll be back next week with another show as we continue our War Room planning. And you also can find other shows you might enjoy on the Politicon YouTube channel or when you search Politicon on your favorite podcast sites. 